It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Businessman Porig Okadig, the chairman of the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Awards and former chief executive of Air Aaron, joins us uh, for the first part of the Inside Business podcast. Pork, uh, let's start with the EY Awards. How are they going so far? I mean, has there been much interest in in entering this year? They're going really, really well, Tom. There's uh, always very, very strong interest in it. It's the premier awards in Ireland for entrepreneurship. And not only that, but the winners go on to uh, represent Ireland in the World Entrepreneur of the Year in Monte Carlo every year. Uh, last year, we had Dairy Master representing Ireland, did really well. So we get, well, a couple of hundred applications every year. They go to EY and uh, people can register by going onto their Ernst Young website and uh, expressing an interest in nominating themselves or nominating another entrepreneur or another company. But uh, I stress they've got to have that done by St. Patrick's Day, 17th of March. That's the deadline, absolute deadline. And uh, from there on in, the 24 finalists, they get significant publicity. So it's very good for them. It's very good for their communities, their staff, their employees, and so on. And also in promoting their business. And uh, I'd say conservatively, the amount of advertising revenue that's generated that's supported by the Irish Times and RTE and others would be in the region of a half a million euros per finalist, so which is very significant. And Pork, you're, you're chairman of the judging panel, which is some very strong personalities, people like Dennis O'Brien, Anne Herity, Liam Casey. I mean, is it tough chairing these guys and, you know, telling them what to do or, or helping them to, you know, eventually make a decision? No, I don't find it. It's not It's not tough. And uh, I don't tell any of those people what to do. Um, my role as chairman of the judges is actually just to facilitate the judges meeting and also to make sure that every single candidate gets a fair crack at the whip. It's not my role to pick the winner. It's really the judges' role to pick the winners. And I just initiate debate and discussion and make sure that every angle is covered so that when we do come to making a decision that we're making a really well-informed decision and we pick the best entrepreneur to represent Ireland in Monte Carlo and the World Entrepreneur of the Year. And Pork, you get a real sense from your involvement with the programme of what's going on in Irish business. Uh, if you were advising a young person who was starting a business and who maybe wanted to be a future winner, what would be the areas you think that they should consider going into? Um, yeah, there's a, that's a very good question. There are a couple of areas, a couple of key points, I think, first of all. One is 
create a, a sense of what you're passionate about. Who are you and what are you about as an individual and what really motivates you? Because entrepreneurship is all about passion and motivation and, and, and where you want to go in life and do what you really want to do. It's not, you're going to have tough times, really tough times as an entrepreneur. And you're going to keel over a couple of times. You're going to get a kick in the backside. And it's that passion and energy and never giving up that's actually going to bring you through those tough times. So you've got to be doing something that you really love. So find out what you really love. And the another thing entrepreneurs do, and this is another suggestion to young entrepreneurs, people say, Porik, where will I get an idea for, for a business? For, have you got any ideas for, for a business? What entrepreneurs do, Tom, is entrepreneurs actually look for problems. And when they find the problem, they create the solution. So what you're looking for is, like for me, say, take Air Aaron. There was very, very poor access, road, rail, or air, to the regions in Ireland. And I was living in one of those regions in the west of Ireland, in Connemara. And, and it was quite difficult, quite frankly, getting to Dublin. It would take three to four hours getting to Dublin by car. And then you're pretty tired after it. So I said, Let, there's a problem there, Paul. Can you start creating air access out of that? I'll give you another example. Um, there's a fellow from, from Freddie Carlson in, in uh, Wexford. He was a finalist the Entrepreneur of the Year about three, four years ago. Freddie's from Sweden, and he was madly in love with this Irish girl he met over in Sweden. She moved back to Ireland. He followed her back to Ireland, and uh, they were buying an apartment, and they wanted to buy... He, Freddie wanted to buy some second-hand furniture for the apartment, so he looked online. There was no website selling it. This is only about eight or nine years ago, maybe ten years ago. So... There was one of these in Sweden, so he actually created a website. And that website now is called dundeal.ie with about 3 billion euros a year of, 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 of equipment and service and so on being sold and bought over that. And that came from a need. There was nothing there already and Freddie just actually went and created it. That's what entrepreneurs do. So I, I suggest to you, young people or older people, entrepreneurship is not about age. Find out where there's a real problem, where people are trying to find a solution for it. Create that solution. And then you create a business model around it that actually generates wealth and success. And Pork, there's a lot of talk by the government about jobs and jobs initiatives and what they're going to do to get people off the dole queues. I mean, what would be your ideas? I mean, do you think that there are areas that Ireland is really neglecting or that should be investing in that could create a lot of employment? Yeah, and going around the country uh, and meeting entrepreneurs in various industries. The single biggest problem entrepreneurs in Ireland have and business people in Ireland have is getting good employees. They'll say, I'm, I'm looking for... There's a big need right now at the moment for people who are qualified with IT. That's a huge problem. Can I get enough of people qualified in, in IT? So I just suggest for government and also in relation to the whole educational institutions... Do not create courses for, where, for, for spaces that there's a need for today. Look out five, six, seven, eight years and create the courses and learning experiences for people who will need skills in five, six, seven, eight years' time. So in other words, be forward-thinking rather than present-thinking. We think too much in the present at the moment, and I'm very much involved in university education. I chair the business school uh, in University College Galway, and I'm adjunct professor there. So we need to push that out more. That's a bit longer term. In the short term, governments and the current government, no more than other previous governments, in my view, they do, they do a knee-jerk reaction. 
to issues and problems. You've got just over 12% of people unemployed at the moment. 25% of those are under 25 years of age. And the government said that there was 60,000 jobs created in 2013. Actually, if you'd look at that, that's, that's fine. That stat is okay. That's the ESRI stat. But drill down into that. 50,000 of that 60,000 were men. There's only 10,000 that were women. So there is no balance. The vast majority of those jobs that were created, almost 90% of them were created in the greater Dublin area, were created within 25 miles of O'Connell Street. What about the rest of the country? So there's no balanced growth there. So then, what do you do with the people who are unemployed, who are looking for work? Well, the current model that's there, the latest one that's been pushed out, is saying somebody who's on 180 euros a week, give them another 20 euros and get them to work for a local council. That, to me, is not on. The fundamental you need, if you, if you want to create an opportunity for people to work, you've got to give them, one, meaningful work, two, work that actually suits their skill sets, three, give them a challenge, and fourthly, give them some form of decent remuneration for that. And unfortunately, that's not happening, in my view, in most of the job programs. And th- there's a whole myriad of job programs out there. But that's not really happening from that perspective. They need to dig a little bit deeper. It's not a matter of statistics, taking numbers off the dole queue and hey, give them something for six or nine months to work 20 hours a week, cutting grass or whatever they do for a county council. And, you know, Bork, you're passionate about the West of Ireland. I mean, it was one of the reasons you set up Air Aaron in the first place. Uh, are there things that you'd like to see, you know, that, like the, the, that, the, that the West of Ireland could do to create more jobs if, if it got a little bit more support? Um, it's not really about, in my view, financial support. Um, it's more about looking at what we have. And let's just take the... I'm, I'm passionate about Ireland, not just the west of Ireland. I'm very, very proud of wearing a green jersey. And I feel I, I feel absolutely as impressed by somebody who wears an English jersey at a rugby game or a Scottish or a Welsh or a French or any other one. It's a fair play to them. Uh, a sense of place and identity, Tom, uh, to me is fundamental to all of us and who you are and what you're about. Let's take the West of Ireland by means of example. One needs to look at what, what are the particular attributes of the West of Ireland. There's a natural beauty there from a tourism perspective. So you say, how can we actually go and develop that from a tourism perspective? Also, it's really, really strong. What are the natural resources that are around there and how can you develop those? And, for example, the sea is one big one. And that's a one reason why I'm, I'm, I accepted uh, the nomination by Simon Coveney to go on the board of Bordy Skiwara because I think that, that really, there's, we have a fishing industry that's way underdeveloped. And that's all around the west, south, north coast of Ireland and, and east coast of Ireland, Kilmore Quay and so on. And we actually need to, that's very fragmented, we need to pull it together and structure it. So... We don't have to actually wait to bring, try and bring a Google to Ireland and they just want to go to Dublin and we try and pull them back to Connemara or down to Dingle or up to Guidor or someplace like that. No, let them stay in the Dublins, but let's look at the natural resources that are around those places now. How can we actually effectively develop those? And Pork, you, you know, you've stepped back from Iron now. I mean, do you miss the company being involved with it on a day-to-day basis or is it a freedom to be able to go and start new businesses and do new things? It's a, it's a genuine, it's a great freedom. When I set up Air Iron back in 90, Air Iron in Dublin back in 1998, 1999, I always wanted to sell the company. It was never intended to be a long-term gig for me. I certainly wouldn't want my children getting involved in it. Uh, 
like you know the story if you want to make a small fortune in aviation start with a large one and it's it's a tough tough business it's 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 not that easy there's much lower hanging fruit out there in terms of business ideas and what you do people who are really close to me were telling me for a number of years that Iran is holding me back in relation to ideas and different business models I wanted to try and create now that I've got the freedom to do that and actually caused that Tom and I'll go a bit deep here what caused that I needed a kick in the ass and yeah. that kick in the ass was two years ago I got a heart attack Yeah, and it needed that to say cop on to yourself and that was the injection I needed to actually move on so since then I've, I've started a JV a joint venture with an Israeli company I've set up a home care company called Kasla Home Care about 15-18 months ago We've 35 to 40 staff in that now. And I'm looking at other businesses as well. So it's, it's, it's an exciting space to be in. Pork, that, uh, you know, that heart attack in January 2012, uh, uh, you know, for, for listeners who are feeling the stress of trying to keep their businesses afloat, I mean, do you think that that stress was a big part of that? Uh, and is that something that business people need to always be aware of? Yeah, that's so important, Tom. That's absolutely critical. I thought... I've ran marathons. I've done four marathons. I ran about 20 half marathons. I go to the gym twice, three times a week. I had a full cardiology assessment done six months before I had the heart attack. I was told I was fine. I, I drink very little. I'm reasonably careful about what I eat. And yet I got a heart attack. I thought I was doing everything fine. I didn't even realize that I was stressed as much as I was. And it was all down to stress. And one thing I'd say to everybody and anybody who's listening here who's involved in business listen listen to your body but listen to people who are really close to you your partner your spouse your family because they they can see you being stressed and you actually don't even realize it yourself so just listen to them and look at doing something about it because you're the goose that lays the golden egg you ain't going to have any golden eggs unless you really properly look after yourself and you might think you're doing it more than likely you're not and when you bump into business people, Pork, I mean, is it possible to say that to them when you see them up against a wall that, you know, that they need to just step back a little bit and uh, look after themselves? If there's just one message from this conversation, Tom, for the thousands of people, hopefully, who will listen to it, if there's only one message that they take away from it and they ask themselves, am I really pushing myself too much here? Can I look after myself a little bit better? What's most important to me in my life? And when you ask those questions, you start putting life and business in context. Do you work for your company or does your company work for you? And that's what I discovered. But unfortunately, it had to come to a heart attack to make that happen, as you say, in January 2012. And Porg, you know, the, one of the big business stories this week has been the results from AIB and Bank of Ireland. I mean, do you think the banks are doing enough for Irish business people and are they understanding enough of the, the sheer pressure that they're, they're under? Uh, it's a, in my view, the whole situation with the banks and where the banks are at is a pretty complex uh, uh, situation. Um, fundamentally, the straight answer is no, they don't understand. Uh, there's a lot of good people, good business people out there who have actually done physical damage to themselves because of the stress has been so much. Uh, families are broken up because of it. People have got sick as a result of it. People have lost their businesses and so on. As re- and, and some of that 
quite frankly, has come because of the pressure the banks have put on them. I've met a number of people, myself, who've come and talked to me. Um, now, a big problem the banks had is that they didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do. They were, quite frankly, in some cases, like headless chickens. Now they're beginning to move out of that a little bit. I find it strange to see that the banks are saying that there's only, I think, in the region, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but broadly speaking, only in the region of 60% of, of, of term sheet offers for loans are being taken up. So they're saying, we're, we're giving you the money, guys, but entrepreneurs and business people are not taking it up. The question I would ask is, what are the terms? Because entrepreneurs and business people who have taken loans before in the past and have had significant personal guarantees. And you, you know, Tom, that we're one of the few countries in the world that personal guarantees is a standard requirement by banks. And because you give a personal guarantee, you're putting your home, your family, everything you worked and lived on in the line for this company. And banks have called in those PGs, as you know. So people are a lot more reluctant now to sign up for term loans from banks with significant personal guarantees on it. And I think that's, that's still a big issue and that needs to be taken off the table. And we need to have a level playing field like most other countries, developed countries in the world from a business perspective. I think that's one of the single biggest things that's holding back investment in Ireland. And who are the Irish business people who've inspired you, Pork, during the bust and now the recovery, who've shown real character and real, a real ability to come true no matter what? Uh, there's no one person, quite frankly, and there's it's there's no let's call it high profile person, but it's people in small hotels and shops and pubs and so on around the country, and family owned businesses, and I see how they're keeping going, keeping going, keeping going. Like for example, I, I a young lady wanted to meet me earlier this week, and. Her father passed away. He developed cancer in his early 60s. She'd probably be about 30, 31 years of age. And she's talking about going back into the business. And it's a really male-dominated business because she wants to keep that business going and she sees potential in that business. People like that, with that kind of a passion, are the people who inspire me. And what do you think, Pork? you know, when, when, when you see the people who are, who are struggling... Uh, and then at the same time you're talking about like that we need changes for, for in policy. Uh, is that an area that you think you'd ever move into? I know you spoke about possibly getting involved in politics before. Is that something you think about again or is that off the table? No, it's, it's not off the table, Tom. And it's not off the table. I've been asked by a couple of different political parties, would I get involved in politics from a European perspective to standing in Galway West and, uh, for general elections. And I, quite frankly, I thought about it. I, I spent time talking to Kathleen, my wife and my family about it, and I decided not to go each time. And and I've t I took advice from politicians that I highly respect, some ex-politicians. I decided not to go. I wouldn't say, no, I definitely won't. But there's one prominent politician who told me, and I, I, I don't want to mention his name just here now, but this guy was a very, very senior politician in a, in a government uh, a number of years ago. And he left it and he went back and he started working with a reasonably large company in his home place as vice chairman or vice CEO of it. And he says, 
he told me, he said, Porik, I was 25 years in politics and I'd been out of five years working in this company and my single biggest passion was to create jobs. And he says, I've created more jobs in five years out of politics than I did in 25 in it. And is that something, Porik, that you'd like to do yourself, which, you, you know, if you're looking at, you know, what is the next five years going to bring? Is that going to be to really put all of your energy into your new business ventures or is it going to be doing more things like joining certain boards to try and help regional areas or what do you think it's going to what's what's it going to look like i haven't actually it's a great question because i should not be sitting in front of you talking to you now I, I i should be dead i shouldn't be alive because my heart stopped twice i was clinically on the other side of the fence twice and there were so many coincidences that i'm still alive and and, and i i question myself why am i still here what kind of a contribution do i still need to make because there is one but i've decided not to stress myself and push myself in relation to that because I believe it's going to happen. What am I passionate about? I'm passionate about people. You mentioned earlier in the conversation, Tom, about the Entrepreneur of the Year program and seeing companies and seeing companies grow and I've seen hundreds of them. And Tom, companies don't grow. People grow. And my passion would be to hopefully continue to work with people and Maybe be a small cog in helping them build a big wheel. Borg Okadig, uh, Chairman of the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Awards. Uh, thanks for coming on Inside Business. Great talking to you. Thank you. Kieran Hancock uh, joins us for the second part of Inside Business. Kieran, it's been an incredibly busy week as finance correspondent. There's been results from both AIB and Bank of Ireland. Uh, would it be fair to describe it as very much a, a tale of two very different banks? Yes, it is, Tom. Uh, They're at different stages of development, if you like. Bank of Ireland um, pretty much managed to get the government to get out from under the government's skirt, if you like, last year um, by resolving the issues around the the cocos and the preference shares. And it also put the bank um, back onto a profitable footing um, and is further down the road, if you like, in terms of dealing with its arrears um, and other issues. It also um, got past the, the magic uh, 2% target for its net interest income. Um, AIB, by contrast, um, and I suppose we should remember that Bank of Ireland is 14% owned by the state, whereas AIB is 99.8% owned by the state. And Bank of Ireland has effectively repaid all the state aid um, that it received from the government, whereas uh, AIB has yet to repay a bob. So, and David Duffy only came into the bank a couple of years ago, whereas Richie Boucher was an existing executive within the bank, which, you know, in turn caused its own controversy when he got the top job. But so Duffy has had to reshape it over the past couple of years. That's what he's uh, trying to do. And he, I mean, to be fair to him, he's made some progress. He, he always said it would be a three-year plan. And he has made some progress in terms of um, dealing with arrears, in terms of increasing its income, in terms of returning it to an underlying profit, um, not a real profit, because when you take in the the provisions uh, in relation to bad loans, um, they're still making huge losses. In fact, I I totted it up earlier, since 2009, uh, AIB has recorded losses of just over €20 billion, which is uh, quite incredible. Well, it's quite an incredible number when you think about it all right here on the fly. And there's so, relatively, there's been, there's little known about it. Uh, what do you think of David Duffy, the man? I mean, you you, you had spent some time with him, grilling him and asking him questions. I mean, did he impress you? 
Well, he's quite a polished media performer. He spent a lot of time in the United States and around uh, different parts of the world working in banking. So he's uh, he's had a lot of exposure, uh, I guess, to media and to investors and so forth and in different environments. And he is quite a, a polished uh, individual, perhaps a bit more so than uh, Richie Boucher. Richie Boucher is a bit more nervous uh, in front of a microphone or in front of a camera. But there's no doubt in terms of uh, delivering results, Boucher has delivered for the bank and has delivered for the shareholders and it's noticeable that um, this week uh, Wilbur Ross and Prem Watsa, who were two of the key investors, in, external investors in Bank of Ireland in 2011, they sold sh- some shares this week but they made it very clear um, that they're going to be uh, holding on to the remainder of their shares in Bank of Ireland and that they, um, they're, they're very impressed with the job that Richie Boucher has done uh, over the past couple of years in turning the bank around. And you spoke to to Wilbur Ross as well uh, this week, Kieran. I mean, he's he's still as bullish as ever on Ireland. He is um, absolutely, and why wouldn't he be? I suppose he's he's managed to in one fell swoop by selling about three percent, one third of his holding uh, in Bank of Ireland. He's managed to get his money back effectively, and the rest is all profit now. Um, so he's had a good experience with Ireland, uh, and he told me that he'd be willing to look at other investments and has been looking at some other investments in Ireland um, to add on to Bank of Ireland. So I think he's somebody who's who's probably going to put some more money into this market in uh, in the coming while. And if you look at Richie Boucher, I mean, his position as CEO is pretty much unassailable at this point, I think would be fair to say. Totally. Uh, there was a lot of criticism when he got the top job in 2009 because he had been part of the executive team that had made a lot of those bad lending decisions which led to the bank uh, requiring to be bailed out by the state. Um, Dermot Desmond uh, wrote a letter, a scathing letter really, to the board of uh, Bank of Ireland questioning why uh, Richie Boucher had been appointed to the top job and suggesting that uh, Pat Malloy or Maurice Keane, um, who were former senior executives of the bank, um, that they should have been put in temporary charge while a, a worldwide search was put in place to find um, somebody to replace Brian Goggin, who had stepped down. Um, but Boucher has proved them all wrong, uh, I guess. You know, Bank of Ireland's share price has been on a fantastic uh, run. It's up about 140% over the past year. Um, they're now down to a shareholding of about 14% uh, with, with the state. He managed to get external investment on board. Uh, and he managed to bring the staff along with him too in terms of solving the defined benefit pension issue. Um, so he's, and if you look at the staff numbers, you know, they've, Bank of Ireland's cut about 2,000 staff since June 2012. At AIB, it's been 3,600. The cuts have been much deeper at AIB. The restructuring has had to be, um, has had to be much deeper at AIB. And they've had a few shots at it. You know, we've had a, we've had a few um, management teams, if you like, in terms of um, CEOs, chairman and external consultants. Uh, managing the show there over the last uh, five or six years, whereas uh, Bank of Ireland's had some continuity with Boucher. I mean, if, if you look at AIB, I mean, as you said there, Kieran, it's €20 billion Euros worth of losses. We had a story in the Business Post on Sunday about €100 million Euros spent on consultants, you know, to back up, you know, the, their workforce. Uh, David Duffy, I mean, do you think that he's somebody who's going to be around for the long term or is he going to come under pressure that, like, you know, the fact is this bank is still 99.8% state-owned? Well, at the press conference to discuss the annual results, uh, David Duffy effectively made a a plea to retain his job. Um, His contract is up at the end of the year. Um, and he said that he would be happy to um, stay on, uh, remain in position, that when he took the job on um, just over two years or so ago, uh, he always saw it as a five-year uh, position. And he would like to extend his term um, beyond the end of this year when he'll have uh, three years down. So it's up to the Minister for Finance to decide. But it was quite telling that he was willing to say that at a press conference and also state that, uh, you know, he doesn't have any issues around bonuses or whatever. His pay was cut in uh, late 2012. 
it's below the 500,000 um, cap that the government put in place. So Duffy's in a he's in a different um, space to uh, Boucher, and he was also keen to make it clear that you know the reason he came home was to do some good for the state and to try and play a role in getting the bank back on its feet. Um, for sure, I presume he could probably take up other roles in other countries uh, where he would make a lot more money. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the year. I think uh, a lot will depend, I guess, on how successful he is at getting the bank back to profitability. This is the year when he says he's going to get the bank back to full profitability and deal with the capital structure and look at bringing external investments in in the first half of next year. And just one final question, Kieran. At the start of the week, you had a page one story about you know a, a possible third force. Uh, can you tell us about that story and, and have things progressed anywhere since then? Well, Michael Noonan revealed at the Fine Gael Ardesh last week um, that the government was looking at a possible third banking force. This has been talked about for the guts of 20 years in one shape or another by various uh, political parties. But um, and it was you know it was talked about by the the current coalition parties when they were in opposition prior to the last uh, general election. But he's brought it forward at this time on the basis that we now have the two pillar banks, if you like, back up and running. Um, They're moving towards normalisation if they're not already there. And uh, we probably need a third player, in a, a third big player in the market, if you like, to take them on. And I think we've all been a little bit spooked by the fact that Ulster Bank, um, there was a lot of talk recently of that Ulster Bank might be leaving the market because of a strategic review that's been underway for five months or so at Royal Bank of Scotland, its UK parent. Now, Royal Bank of Scotland has affirmed its commitment to the market in the Republic. It's number three player here at the minute, but it has also suggested that it would be a slim down presence. But it said it would like to become a challenger bank. So it would seem Ross McEwen, the Royal Bank of Scotland chief executive, was in Dublin um, last month in February and he met with uh, Michael Noonan. And I suppose uh, it would seem that um, they discussed this uh, issue of the third banking force and that it might be possible for Royal Bank of Scotland Stroke Ulster Bank to participate in it in some way. Would permanent TSB in there too? Yeah, possibly. Um, there would be some hurdles to that. Permanent TSB and Ulster Bank have uh, have very large loss-making tracker mortgage books. Um, it would also need European Commission approval because uh, permanent TSB at the minute is going through um, a restructuring plan with the Commission because of the state aid it has received. So there would be hurdles there, but, you know, everything is possible. I mean, we've seen some amazing change in the financial sector over the past uh, five or six years. And I think the government is concerned that uh, if we have a slim down Ulster Bank, and don't forget that Danske and ACC um, are joining the exodus of international banks leaving this market, and then we could have a real competition issue. Uh, in the sense that AIB and Bank of Ireland would probably control, um, you know, 75, 80% or more of the market and that wouldn't be healthy for consumers. Kieran Hancock, Irish Times Finance Correspondent, thanks for coming on Inside Business. That's it for this week's Inside uh, Business, which was presented by myself, Tom Lyons, produced by Sinead O'Shea, and the sound engineer was JJ Vernon. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com